today, we take a hard look at what went down last Friday when 169 retired Israeli senior defense and security officials took a public stand and rebuked Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for gambling Israel's future for his own political interests. It is an unprecedented, audacious move, which these hardened military men and women felt was imperative. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, and today a real Tel Avivian, living in the state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Last Friday, an extraordinary full-page advertisement was published in Israel's most widely read newspaper, Yediot Achronot. The entire ad was printed over a pale watermark of the Israeli flag, which, of course, is visually impactful. At the top are the crests, or symbols, of the four major defense-related organizations in Israel, the IDF, Air Force, Shin Bet, and police. The brief text just below the various insignia states that Israel is facing an unprecedented crisis, such that the country's security apparatus may be unable to properly protect the nation. Why? In effect, the 169 senior retired security personnel state that this untenable situation is due to the ongoing chaos in Israel resulting from the government's judicial reform bill which has led to thousands of volunteer reservists, vital to the nation's defense capability, refusing to serve. The reservists say that they pledge to serve, and die for, a democracy, not a dictatorship. For such a deep existential danger to be broadcast publicly is sacrilege in Israel, which reflects the urgency of the moment. If these men and women did not feel that they had no choice that this is zero hour, they would not take such drastic action. They would not blast the Prime Minister publicly. But they did. What was not yet known when this ad was published, but has since come to light, is that in a briefing last Friday with IDF Chief of Staff Herzi Halevi and Air Force Commander Tomer Bar, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu blasted the top military officials for having the audacity to, in effect, air their dirty laundry in public. Such matters, he railed, should never be discussed publicly. Doing so, he said, severely impairs Israel's deterrent capability. What's more, Netanyahu raged, you make it look like the army is running the country. Right. It is important to note that neither Halevi nor Barr signed on to the ad which is the subject of this podcast. However, they were upbraided by Netanyahu on the same day that the ad ran. What these two gentlemen, Herzi Halevi and Tomer Bar, have done is to comment publicly on the quite dire situation in which the military finds itself. That's what set Bibi off during their briefing. Here's what's really going on. The actual nightmare scenario. Prime Minister Netanyahu and his coalition partners are determined to continue to push their judicial reform agenda, which has been ravaging the country in every way since January, socially, 
economically, militarily. Whatever one's position on the merits of the plan, the fact is that the country is devolving into sectarian chaos. Nothing is ruled out at this point, including civil war. The first judicial reform law, the Reasonableness Law, was passed by the Knesset on July 24th. State of Tel Aviv has covered that issue in a previous podcast. You will find it on our website at stateoftelaviv.com. That's stateoftelaviv, all one word, dot com. It was dropped on July 23rd and is titled The Reasonableness Bill, What Separates Democratic Israel from the Abyss. And in that podcast, I speak with Hebrew University professor Yuval Shani about why this bill matters so much to Israeli democracy. I encourage you to listen to this short but very informative discussion with Professor Shani. Here's where the rubber hits the road. There is the possibility that the Supreme Court of Israel, which will hear the appeal on September 12th, will strike down the reasonableness law. This hearing is unprecedented for many reasons, including the fact that the full panel of 15 Israeli Supreme Court justices will sit and decide. Unprecedented. And if the Supreme Court does so, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been non-committal as to whether his government would adhere to the court's finding. In other words, there is a real possibility that the government of Israel would refuse to abide by a ruling of the Supreme Court, thereby arrogating to the legislature absolute power and control. That, of course, is a characteristic of an autocracy or dictatorship, but not a liberal democracy. And now we've come full circle. This is what the ad is about. This is what everything is about. Preserving liberal democracy in Israel. Joining us today on State of Tel Aviv and Beyond to discuss this highly concerning development is retired Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, so good to see you this Saturday morning for me, Saturday afternoon for you. Thanks, Bibbs. Great to be here. Long time. It's been a while. It's been a while, but uh, you know the beard's just gotten a little fuller, and uh, you look great. We had a brief chat earlier, and uh, we're all very preoccupied, of course, with what's going on in Israel and where it all leads. And you put out a tweet, well, on the platform formerly known as Twitter, now X, yesterday. I don't know if we call them tweets anymore. And it was really eye-catching, and the substance was even more attention-grabbing. And what you posted was, what was a full-page ad, I understand, in Yediora Chonot, the largest circulating daily paper in Israel, largest readership, largest circulation, that had the signatures, or there were, I think, 169 signatories. Is that correct, Peter? That's right. 169. Tell us, if you will, because your your tweet was just so eye-grabbing, you know, in bold red caps, unprecedented. Take a moment and tell our listeners what the ad said, because most of it was taken up by the, the signatories' names, of course. But there was some text yeah. at the top. Yeah, it was a very, 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 very short announcement, really. Basically saying, we, the commanders of the defense establishment, 169 chiefs of staffs, commissioner generals of the police, heads of the Shin Bet, heads of Mossad, generals in reserve, 
and their equivalents in the other defense establishments are warning and cautioning of an immediate threat to the defense of the state. They weigh that on non-adherence by the government to the law and to rulings of the High Court of Justice will disintegrate the military and bring its capabilities, its operational capabilities, below the red line of readiness and preparedness for war. It will expose the forces, the IDF troops, to charges from the International Criminal Court in The Hague and will impede on the capabilities of the Israeli police force. And therefore, they call on Prime Minister Netanyahu to publicly announce that he will adhere to the law and to the rulings of the High Court. And they end up by saying the defense of the State of Israel is above all. And Netanyahu cannot say that I didn't know. I think that it's a very, very strong message that they kind of close it with a short sentence saying, we, the undersigned, support the judges in the High Court. We call on the leaders and commanders of the defense establishment to make certain that they will comply to and respect the rulings of the Supreme Court. It's quite a statement. There's nothing ever been signaled by so many people about the concern of the defense. And I would say, if you think about it, 169 people with probably around an average of 35 years of service, that's an accumulated 6,000 years of service of the State of Israel and its defense. I think we cannot ignore that number. And that's why when I saw it yesterday, when I was speaking to some of my friends who are signed on that announcement, they are really, really concerned about the security of the State of Israel and the repercussions of ignoring the Supreme Court rulings. By now, even a casual follower of News in Israel knows about the judicial reform, the ongoing protests, about reservists refusing to show up for volunteer duty. The Israeli army has always been something of an anomaly. There's a military culture, absolutely, but it's Israel. Everyone thinks they're a commander. Every mother phones the commander for their kid's unit to tell them how they should be doing things. I mean, there are special offices, and their job is to liaise with parents of draftees in the army. The country is small, and there is no family untouched by loss, grief, or injury. And the majority of the population is Jewish. Israelis love and hate the army. They complain, as they do about everything, but are also very proud of the tremendous security apparatus they have built of necessity in such a short time. Politicians come and go, but not the people's army. Everyone serves. Everyone shows up, except for many Arabs and virtually all ultra-Orthodox. Druze Israelis serve, as do small numbers of Christian and Muslim Israelis and the vast majority of Jewish Israelis. Yes, there are growing numbers of conscientious objectors and others who shirk duty, just cuz. But until now, the machine has hummed. And the prevailing ethos has always been that we put aside our civilian views when we don our uniforms and we become one. No is simply not an option. Until now. The judicial reform is tearing the nation apart. Many see it as the end of liberal democracy in Israel. And on that basis, reserve soldiers, 
many of whom continue to serve well into their 50s and 60s on a volunteer basis, by refusing to show up. They say their oath was to protect a liberal democratic state. Not this. This wave of refusals is snowballing and leading to quite dire operational challenges. This at a time when Israel's security situation is as bad as it was in 1973, which is really, really bad. And through all this, we have the legal drama at the heart of it all, the so-called judicial reform, which is more like a radical reimagining of the nature of the power calibrations between the legislature, judiciary, and executive. Prime Minister Netanyahu is trying to convince the nation that we just don't understand. He's trying to reinforce democracy, not harm it. And yet, people across the political and ideological spectrums are just not buying it. They have analyzed the matter and come to a very different conclusion. Seriously? Ultra-Orthodox Haredim, Messianist religious Zionists, and the fringe rigid ideologues who control Likud these days, they are so concerned about the future of liberal democracy in Israel that they are slavishly committed to jamming through this judicial reform because they want to reinforce democracy? I mean, come on. And when asked if his government would abide by a decision of the Supreme Court, should it strike down all or part of the reasonableness law, Prime Minister Netanyahu stated, let's hope it doesn't come to that. You interpret the innuendo of his comment. To me, pretty clear. He's saying, I'm not saying. Classic Netanyahu. He's not going to decide today what can be put off until tomorrow, which also means that he is not ruling out the possibility that his government will decide to ignore the Supreme Court of Israel. And the leaders of Israel's key security institutions? Never mind academics, economists, CEOs, physicians, pretty much everyone. The security establishment, past and present, is saying something quite different. They are saying, if the Supreme Court finds that the law must be struck down, we will follow the law. Israel is a country based on law. We will not adhere to any government directive that is contrary to any court ruling. This is about as serious as a constitutional crisis gets. And we don't even have a constitution. Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. This moment in history is considered by many to be the most critical and existential in Israel's 75-year history. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited-time subscription special, a 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually, one year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. Stateoftelaviv.com, all one word. Okay, back to Peter now. And we start with his deep roots in the military and his understanding of the military culture and commitment ethos. So I want to just make a quick point for our listeners, because I uh, didn't mention this at the beginning, you have a very deep uh, military background. Tell us a bit about what you did, and you had a very long, fruitful career, and and, and your role at the end of your service. So, yeah, for me, it was like a, a quarter of a century of my life 
in the Israel Defense Forces. I went up the, the ranks. I was always serving in areas of controversy on in the West Bank, in on the Gaza Strip. My roles mostly evolved around issues of communication, international relations, public affairs. And as such, I was always close to the decision-making table in those areas of responsibility. When I say those, my friends, they're actually most of those that I spoke to were actually, in effect, my commanders. So they're people that I deeply respect, people that I've seen in crisis situations, people taking to consideration the huge responsibility that they have over the lives of others, Israelis and Palestinians. And that's why when, when they come out in such a, a strong message, I feel very, very close to where they're coming from. These are they, people who lose their cool quickly. Not by any stretch of the imagination, no. These are people, I like to say, they've looked death in the eye more than once, laughed at it and walked away. So it, it's a really really, I would say, sad that they have to come out and make this statement. I think it's also important to point out that these people, they serve all governments of the state of Israel, whether left or right. They, they, you know, they have careers that are encompassing all of the political turmoil for the last 40 years in the country, which is a lot. So you've had left-wing governments, right-wing governments, and they never asked who is leading us, who is the government, because they knew that there was legal background there was a stability behind that, that you adhere to the law, and it wasn't questioned. But now that question is influencing the fabric of our IDF. But what's interesting, and I don't know if you saw it yesterday, as you know, a few hours after yeah. the, this, this statement came out, we had a statement by the commander of the Air Force that said the situation of the Air Force is bad. The readiness and the preparedness are in a state of deterioration. And I think it completely relates to what they were saying. Basically, what they're saying is that they identified through the years of their experience and their understanding of the situation, a deterioration of the military's operational capabilities. And that is reason enough to stop. On the other hand, we saw throughout this last week an increase in the saber rattling by Defense Minister Gallant, who's saying, you know, warning to return uh, Lebanon and Hezbollah back to the Stone Age. So we have this combination of a real threat that they appear to be talking about in the defense establishment, the real ramifications of this security situation on the ground, what the commanders are saying. And then you have this former commanders that from their experience, it looks to me like they're looking down the tunnel and they're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and they realize that it's actually a train headed straight towards us. So they're calling on Netanyahu, be clear that you will say something publicly strong enough that people will understand. It's not only Netanyahu, by the way, because Netanyahu has been weak in the, in the messages that he's been saying, but all of his lackeys have been amplifying it and taking it like seven stages stronger. We won't listen to them. They better not threat. It's like the mafia uh, threatening the court. So this is the, this is the challenge that, that, that I think that we feel when it all comes together. So it's interesting. I did notice in the last week or two that the Gulf states, including Saudi Arabia, issued a directive slash order to all of their citizens in Lebanon to leave immediately. And this is in conjunction with the saber rattling from Galant, with the kind of, you know, provocations of Hezbollah on the northern border, sending infiltrators in to see if and how Israel react, putting tents on the ground in Israeli territory to see if and how Israel react, 
taunting the IDF. So there's a lot in the mix here. And when the Gulf countries say to their citizens, get out of town, get out of Dodge now, that suggests that there's something quite real going on that they are aware of too. Would you agree? Yeah. Speculative, I know, but... Oh, absolutely. There's obviously something brewing. And this, I think it just amplifies or reinforces what these generals are saying. That is the responsibility of the prime minister. You can't ignore what's going on for whatever reason you've been ignoring it. Up to now, the situation is deteriorating. It appears on many fronts. And we need the military to be strong and prepared and ready. And we need the government to give the military that support that they require. The IDF is completely dependent on the faith of the public in the military. And if the military and the people serving in the army, on the other hand, need to know that they have the support, the guidance, but also the legal and moral frameworks to conduct their operations, their activities. And it appears that all of these things in this recent upheaval have been, I would say, blurred beyond understanding and recognition. And it doesn't really matter who's to blame. I don't, you know, obviously, I feel that Netanyahu has, you know, you have to lead by example. And he's not leading by that example. And that's everybody's looking towards him for a response. And it's just not happened up until now. It is important to note that there's long been support and clamor for changes to the judicial system in Israel. There's plenty to fix, just not in this dictatorial, top-down kind of way. Any constitutional reform, which is essentially what this is, must be the result of widespread consensus. That takes time and heaps of patience. But this government has been saying for months, tough luck, we have a majority, and we're going to do what we want. Regarding the profound flaws in that line of reasoning, with respect to how a democracy functions, we have plenty of material on our website. Please go browse and have a look. Now, back to Peter Lerner on this issue. It doesn't mean that laws can't be changed, but if you're changing the, the entire system, it needs to be done with a consensus and with a concern of the ramifications of what these changes are doing to society. And what 169 leaders are saying is, what you're doing is currently tearing society apart in a way which may be beyond repair. Is that something Israel needs? Is that good for the defense of Israel? And, and obviously, it's not. It's a very serious crisis that we're heading into. I'm certain that people living in North America and elsewhere who are listening to this may well be thinking, okay, but things are off kilter everywhere. What's the big deal? The whole world is tilting to extremes, it seems. Perhaps. But the difference in Israel is that we don't have any margin for error because of the extreme and unceasing security challenges. Back to Peter now to discuss this critical point with him. We have a razor thin margin, right? We don't have the same margin for error as other countries may because of the security situation in Israel, correct? Absolutely. And that's exactly what these 169 leaders of our defense establishment are saying. We don't have that margin of error. We need to be very, very clear. We need to make sure that the defense of Israel is secured. And only then can you make changes. And even then, they need to be within reason. Peter Lerner, it's been a long time since we've spoken, but great to catch up with you. 
Thank you so much for your time and making yourself available on short notice. And thank you for posting that on X. Very, very important post that you made yesterday. Thank you very much, Viv. It's been a pleasure to see you and join you on your podcast. I think, you know, for me, it's always been, you know, whenever we sat down, we've always had these really interesting, powerful, enlightening exchanges. So thank you for inviting me. Always a pleasure, Peter. Bibi is telling his top military officials to shut up. No more public comments. But they won't shut up, and they will not bow to King Bibi. They are the top representatives of the People's Army, and the people have every right to know when their sons, brothers, fathers are being sent to be massacred, as happened in 1973. If the people do not trust the leaders, then the army is done. And, at a minimum, the people demand to hear from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that his government will adhere to the law. All he has said to date, when asked by NBC newsman Rafe Sanchez what he would do if the court did, indeed, strike down the reasonableness law is, let's hope it doesn't come to that. In other words, Prime Minister Netanyahu refuses to commit to abiding by the law of the land. That Benjamin Netanyahu brother of national hero and icon Yoni Netanyahu, who led the miraculous, incomprehensible raid on Entebbe to rescue hostages. That Bibi Netanyahu, former Sayeret Matkalnik, should be so high-handed and imperious with the lives of the sons and daughters of Israel, and even suggest that they should be misled, kept in the dark, about the state of military preparedness is horrifying and horrifyingly real. The government may lie to us, but we can rely on the generals, it seems, to be honest. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. It would be great if you would like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Check us out at stateoftelaviv.com on Substack, where you will have access to our full library of content for a limited time only. We are truly independent. We don't just say it, meaning that you will be exposed to views from across the political spectrum at stateoftelaviv.com. Me? I'm all over the place, but generally a solid centrist. State of Tel Aviv is supported by its listeners and readers. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Each member makes a huge difference. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Until next time, stay cool, stay safe, a great weekend. Hold up. 